Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit will, will be our eyes and will open our hearts because uh, these words are, are some of the most important in all of scripture. And these, these are what give us our ultimate hope. Lord, help us, help us to receive these in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to wrap up kind of a, uh, a short series we've been doing on the subject of worship. And that's a topic we can spend a lot of time on and we'll spend more time on in the future. But, but this is the fourth week that we've been talking about that. We started this year talking about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit in our lives. And then we took a few weeks to focus specifically on the subject of worship and primarily worship as described in the book of Revelation. And we started with Revelation chapter 4, the throne of God. This description that, that John says, I saw heaven opened and here's what I saw. And, and just to try to give us a clue on all of that, if you'll remember, we put up a bunch of pictures on that day of different kinds of things that were described. And then at the very end, Alicia came up and talked about her unbelievably amazing experience that she had uh, one time out when, when it was as though the glory of the Lord appeared in the clouds. And, and it's so amazing. I, I took that picture of, that you have, that one where it's just glowing. It looks like the throne room of God hidden behind the clouds. I've got it on my computer now. So, so every time I open it up, that's the picture I see on there. But just this, this amazing description. Now, we focus primarily on particularly when, when, when we went over it on the grandeur of this scene and the power of that to give us peace in our hearts in times of challenge because Alicia was headed into a serious time of challenge. But there are some words at the very end of that that I want to call your attention to as we get started today. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. This is, this is as they're worshiping. This is what they say. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Now listen to the reason. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So the basis for praise in Revelation chapter 4, this praise to the one on the throne, is because he created all things. Now, I want to make a little point here. Believing that God created all things is not an optional belief. How exactly he did it, I can't tell you. We have a description, but to what degree that is a literal description or a figurative, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know those things. But what I do know is this, God as creator is non-negotiable. It is the basis for his praise. And it is the basis for his action in the world. If God is not creator, he has no right to intervene. So, so this is a non-negotiable point with us. This is an absolute. And those around the throne proclaim it. You are worthy because you are creator. If he's not creator, he's not worthy. Okay, you see, that's, that's just logic, right? 
Worthy because he is, but if he isn't, he's not. So the whole thing falls apart. So that's a non-negotiable. It's absolute. It is because God is creator. That is why he is worthy of glory and honor and power. So this is Revelation 4, and it casts this vision of what heaven is like all the time. But then comes Revelation chapter 5, and that was the second topic we looked at. And we talked about that as a hero appears at the throne of God. So we have this regular scene in heaven. And then in chapter 5, a hero shows up. You see, there's a problem. The one who's sitting on the throne has a scroll in his hand. And no one in heaven or on earth or anywhere else can open this scroll. And it's critical that this scroll is open because this scroll represents everything that God is going to do to put his creation back in order. But there has to be one worthy. And John says, I cried and cried because no one was worthy. But then one of them said, don't cry. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome. And he says, I looked and I saw a lamb looking as though he'd been slain. And he went to the one on the throne and he took the scroll and he began to open the seals. And, and in Revelation 5, verse 8, we read this. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. The reason it's a new song is because it's never been true before. It's only become true now. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. It was by coming and being our savior that Jesus earned the right to take the scroll and open the seals. The scroll representing God's purpose to the end of time. And, and according to this passage, this is why Jesus is worthy of our praise, because he was slain and he ransomed us to God. So God is worthy of praise because he's creator. Jesus is worthy of praise because he's savior. We go on in, in Revelation chapter 5 verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. We were talking a minute ago in, in the kid's lifetime about imagining these scenes and imagining what it's like. Imagine a scene with thousands and thousands of angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. This is always one of my favorite moments when you're listening to Handel's Messiah, and you get right down towards the end, and, and this song, Worthy is the Lamb Who Was Slain, and it just breaks out, and it's so powerful to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. 
If you remember, at the end of the service, we said those words together because it said every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them gave this praise. And we talked about how important our participation in worship is. It's not about us watching and being entertained. It's about us engaging and being a part of the experience. Now, I want to connect something for you in your mind here because there are two realities here that's been presented that's very powerful when you see this come together. These moments of praise in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 are the result, I want to suggest to you, are the result of the first two elements of the victory of God. Now, when I say victory of God, what I'm talking about is three things that God either has accomplished or will accomplish. Two of them are already done. One has yet to take place that only he could do and that are the reasons why he is the only one worthy of our praise. What are those things? Well, the first one is creation. And that's Revelation 4's focus. He is worthy of praise because he has made all things. The second thing is salvation. He is worthy of our praise because he has saved us. These are the two completed works of the victory of God. And here are, here are some realities contained within them. Number one, God does them. Number two, we don't help. Number three, we receive the blessing. And then number four, when he's done, he rests on the Sabbath. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We have the description of the creation. He creates the world. How many of us helped God create the world? Nobody. Because we were part of creation. And according to the chronology, we didn't even show up until the last day. So no, we didn't help. God created the world. We didn't help. And he gave it to us. And then he rested on the seventh day. All right, well, let's, let's look at salvation. Jesus achieved salvation for us on the cross. Did we help? I uh, know. No, in fact, if you look at the story, we killed him. And not only that, the ones that actually liked him couldn't even stay awake and pray for him for an hour. Okay, no, we didn't help. We made it harder. But he achieved it. He gave us the blessing. And then what did he do? He died on Friday. He rested on the Sabbath. And he rose again on Sunday. See the, see the pattern of God's work? It's the same in both cases. He does it. We don't help. We get the blessing. And Sabbath becomes this, this memorial. So this has happened in the first two elements of the great work. We don't exist without creation. We're lost without salvation. But with just these two, as amazing as these two things is, with just these two, it is a work unfinished because the world continues to go on in despair and in tragedy. God needs to finish one more work. Or else what was the point? 
This is what the scroll in the hand of God on the throne is all about. This is why Jesus is the hero, for he alone was able to set in motion the events that will lead to the final completion of the victory of God. You see, all that's happened so far is just interesting if, in fact, at the end of it, God does not make all things new. Like they were supposed to be at the beginning before we, as the created beings, messed up the world God made. Last Sabbath, so this was, these were the first two Sabbaths we talked about worship. Last Sabbath, we had an amazing experience as we reflected in word and song about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to revisit at least a piece of that this week. Today we're going to look at one more throne of God scene in the book of Revelation. There's, there's three of them here in Revelation. And this time we're going to start in Revelation chapter 19. So if you, if you want to follow along in the Bible, there's, you can grab one in front of you. I'm going to use that same translation. Revelation chapter 19. This is one of the, the three big throne of God scenes in Revelation. Now that first scene acknowledges God as creator. The second scene acknowledges Jesus as the savior. These are the first two pieces of the victory of God. So it's not a stretch to guess that this third scene would be all about the final element of God's victory. And in fact, that's what it is. So Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1, says, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. Now, we just jumped in here. And we're way out of context. And you hear those words and you're like, whoa, what? What are they talking about? So let me explain here just a little bit. What's going on here is the moment of God's judgment has come. And what is happening is God is judging all the failures of man. Because you see, ever since things got going, we as humans keep trying to come up with ways to save ourselves, or to be greater than God, or to be equal with God, or all of those things. You go all the way back, Tower of Babel, all of the mess, all of the things that went on in the different era, the realities of what happened with Israel and their kings, the, and then even get beyond the time of Jesus into our day, and the, and the nations that rise against nations. And the religious systems that develop that themselves become oppressive. It's like everything we do, eventually, it just becomes a mess. And in the end, God says, enough. Enough with this failing. I'm going to judge all of these things that have gone wrong. And I'm going to set my people free. This judgment that finally comes upon all of these institutions and individuals 
who destroy God's creation and God's people comes finally as the relief that the people of God have been crying out for. Remember this in your mind. Judgment is a good thing because it is the setting everything right. Judgment is the end of injustice. It is something the people of God should be working for and crying out for. Now I want to suggest somewhere where we tend to get a little sideways on this and we've done this over the, year, over the years. First of all, it is only a people who have not suffered greatly in life who are fearful of judgment and not crying out for it. If you have in your life continually experienced injustice, unfairness, cruelty, hostility, then, then you're crying out for justice. You're crying out for judgment upon those who have done wrong. It is the privilege of those who have suffered little to not understand how important judgment is. Because it is only through judgment that wrongs are made right. And so because of this reality, sometimes we've misused judgment. We've misused it as a tool to try to get humans to obey rules. You better do that or you're going to be under the judgment of God. See, these are the coercive systems that, that religion falls into so often. And this is one of the things that God comes to set us free from are these coercive systems. Revelation 19, verse 4. You see, these, this judgment is something we should be crying out for. And, and in fact, symbolically in, the pa in this passage, we are. Revelation 19, verse 4. And the 24 elders, they represent humans. And the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. See, another reason that God is worthy of our praise is because he will restore justice to the earth through judgment, which is the third piece of the victory of God. You have creation, you have salvation, and then you have judgment. These are the three pieces of the victory of God. Now, a quick aside here. There's another place in Revelation where these three things are mentioned together in the context of God's working. And that is when, in what we as Seventh-day Adventists have referred to as the three angels' messages. Specifically, the message of the first angel. So in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, we find these words. Notice the elements here. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with... An eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now what I just read you contains all three elements of what I'm calling the victory of God. 
The first is the everlasting gospel. What is the everlasting gospel? It's the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that gives us life. It's salvation. So that's one element of the victory of God. And do you notice the words at the end of it? Worship him who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. That's creation, another element of the victory of God. But then the part in the middle, do you notice what it said? The hour of his judgment has come. The third element of his victory. All these are mentioned by this angel. And each of them in the book of Revelation has its own throne room scene. So what is the result of the hour of judgment that this angel announces has come? Well, that's what we find in Revelation 19, verse 6 this time. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, now this, this brings together some of the things we've been talking about this year. Because this bride here represents the church. Now, not singly the bolder church, but represents all of us who believe and put our faith and hope in Jesus. And the day, when the day comes when judgment has come on the earth and everything is set right, Jesus and his people will be united together forever. And, and there's an interesting note here that, that fine linen, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean. Fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Let's go back to what we talked about with the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, when we put our faith in him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. He transforms us. He gives us gifts, ways that we can bless others. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, he transforms who we are. And this transformation of ourselves is represented here as fine linen. We are given these things. We are given salvation. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the transformation that takes place in us, that transforms us, that makes us ready to be a part of this kingdom. We just have to agree to continue to walk the road that he leads. The provision is there. And the transformation takes place. What he's talking about here in Revelation 19 is the fulfillment of the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 3, where he says, If I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In Revelation, it's, it's symbolized Jesus coming to his people is like a faithful husband and a bride. And they're together. And they will be together. Back to Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. 
then I fell down at his feet. You see, John here is, is blown away by the presence of this angel. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't give your worship to anything else. Some of us are giving away our worship to things far less glorious than this angel. And the angel said, no, no, don't worship me. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And now this is the point where we're going to link to last Sabbath. We use this text in the context of the stirring song, Ride on, King Jesus. It was a powerful moment last Sabbath. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written, on, written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This is a reference to his death. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Remember John, in the beginning was the Word. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is judgment language. And remember, this only appears after Jesus has given the chance for grace to all. The first time Jesus comes, he comes riding on a donkey. You remember the story of the triumphal entry? where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He's humble, riding on a donkey. That's what the prophecy said. Behold, your king comes to you, humble, riding on a donkey. There was, there was symbolism to this. If the conqueror came riding a donkey, it meant he came in peace. But when he came riding on a horse, he came for war. The first time Jesus came, he came to extend peace. And he made that peace available to everyone. To anyone who would receive it. But in the end, for God to put the world back the way it needs to be, he needs to finally deal with sin and finally deal with everyone who would rather stay in sin than receive the grace and love that is theirs through Jesus. So the first time he comes in forgiveness, the second time he comes to redeem his people and set everything right. This is judgment language when after giving the chance for grace and restoration through forgiveness, finally God says, enough, enough with lying, enough with stealing, enough with raping, enough with killing, enough with pain, enough with sorrow, enough with crying, enough with dying, enough. It is time to set my people free. This is why God comes in judgment. Revelation 19, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come 
gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. This is all those who, even after all of it, are still determined to be set against God. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. The reality of humanity, we know this, if God were to come down in his kingdom, the armies of the world would try to take the city. This is just how we are. And if God doesn't set it right, it will never be right. Verse 20, and the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. This is God destroying sin and the cause of sin. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's strong language, isn't it? We're not used to this. But maybe one of the reasons that it doesn't resonate well with us is we really haven't suffered much. I can imagine these words might be very comforting to people in the country of Ukraine right now. People who are suffering around the world. You see, God has done all he can to save all who will be saved, all who will be reconciled, all who truly want to live in a world where love for God and love for one another is the rule. That's the rule of God's kingdom. But for all who refuse to be reconciled and refuse to live in a world like that, their time of hateful oppression is over. Now, we don't typically dwell on language like this But how is God ever going to be able to put the world back to the original state if there are still people living in it who want to do evil? This came up in the children's story, didn't it? There's no bad people there. You see, that's a real thing. Judgment is the key first step to making all things new. For in judgment, what has been judged as evil must pass away so that the door is opened for the new that is to come. But what does this new world look like? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Because we're getting close to the end here, but now I want to paint you this picture of what comes after judgment. Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is, this is God's kingdom coming to earth. This is God's people, his bride. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Why is this important? Do you remember all the way back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden? The, the Garden of Eden, God walked with them in the garden. And then when they fell away, a separation came. And, and we go this whole span of history of mess, of just terrible things. And in the middle of it, Jesus dies for our sins and saves us. But the story goes on for a season as the kingdom of God is developed and as the reality of who God is is revealed. And the story goes forward until this day when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And once again, just like at the beginning, the dwelling of God is with man and he walks with them. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the final element of the victory of God. And just like the other two, He does it. We don't really help, but we get the blessing. This is the victory that our great God is winning for us. First two pieces he's done, creation and salvation are completed. The only one left is when he returns in judgment to make all things new. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? To set it right? It's long been the heart hope the Seventh-day Adventist people that the coming of the Lord is soon. It's our heart belief. And indeed, I do believe that we are living beyond the prophecies as we're able to understand them in these closing stages. How long does it go? I don't know. But I do know he tells us to speak of it as soon. And we need that. We need to believe that judgment will come and justice will reign and that God will wipe away the tears. For some things, we just have to wait until that fullness comes. But there's one thing we don't have to wait on. You know what that is? We don't have to wait to praise Him. We can do that right now. Because... Because for those who believe, his promises are sure. And the promise is the day is coming when this great God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And when death and dying and sorrow and sin will be no more. The victory of God will be complete. We will live with this great God forever.